Man, this morning, um, I struggled a little bit this week, kind of, not big, but a little bit on what to preach today. I thought, do I preach a sermon that totally ignores the fact that we just went through um, an election? Or uh, do I just address the election? And do I just come right up front and say, look, my message is going to be here, and I want to just talk from my heart about what happened in our country on on Tuesday. And so that's what I'm going to do. And it's not going to be political. It's not my place on stage to be political, Democrat, Republican, all of that. But I want, what I hope happens today is it gives, whether either side of the spectrum that you're on, whether on Tuesday you were thrilled and filled with hope, that Obama was president, or if Tuesday you were kind of in despair and and depressed and couldn't believe it happened to the country. I don't know, in all the years that I've been close to politics and involved in politics and paid any attention at all, have I seen the reaction um, in our country that I have this year to the election. And so it's a big deal. And I'm I'm not completely sure, and I say this with lots and lots and lots of grace, But I'm not completely sure that the way we as Christians, myself included, are reacting um, is necessarily that great. Um, I'm not sure if it reveals something about our hearts. I'm not sure if it reveals about where our trust actually is or not. And regardless of the fact if you're on the which side of the political spectrum you are, whether you you find this very encouraging or you find it discouraging, um, does it make any difference? It doesn't really make any difference in light of what I'm going to talk about today. So my hope is, and my prayer honestly is, is that we leave this place today with a nude, renewed view or a different maybe perspective on what's happening around us and what really matters and what life is really about. Um, And I'm just going to lay down a few ground rules maybe to begin with this morning so you don't misunderstand me because I'm going to say say a lot of things. I'm going to look at a lot of scripture. And some of you are going to leave and say, yeah, well, all that, and what what about this? And I understand. I'm not here to answer all the questions. Okay, we're going to have loose-ended things today because, one, I'm not smart enough to answer all those questions. And number two, it's just too much ground to cover, okay? But I will say this. Um... Out of anything that I say today, I'm never saying that we should not be involved in the political process. I'm not at all saying that we shouldn't vote, that we shouldn't be involved, that we shouldn't know what's going on. We should be. I believe we have a responsibility, not only as citizens, but as Christians, to be involved in the political process of this country. I'm also not saying, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, that regardless of what we do, God is going to do whatever he wants. God works through his people. And we have a role to play, and we have a role to play as citizens. We really do. So don't ever blame God necessarily. And I'll also say this, and this kind of leads where I want to go, is our hope, your hope, and your future is not found and wrapped up in our president. It's not. It's not wrapped up in a political party. It's not wrapped up in the policies of, our, of the administration that leads our country or, or the absence of policies. Your hope is in Jesus Christ, and that's it. And my prayer is, is that we leave today understanding that, you know what, it's okay. Regardless of where things are, it's okay. 
I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this. I'm sure you have experienced this. Have you ever went, had a conversation with a person, or you've sat down at lunch with a person or breakfast, and you sat across the table with a person, and for an hour or two, you just had an honest conversation? And maybe going into the conversation, there was some things about the person or there was some things about a circumstance or an issue or a situation that you thought was real clear to you. And either you were agreeing with this person or disagreeing with this person or you had kind of a rock-solid perspective and view on this situation or whatever it is. And you kind of walked in with your mind made up. And at the end of a one-hour or a two-hour conversation, you left that meeting, and, and you would, if you would think this way, and if you'd say this, you would be like, man, it wasn't at all what I thought it was. Now that I've talked to that person, now that I see it from his or her perspective, I see things completely differently. And what I thought was, what I thought was the truth, what I thought was happening, is not at all what is happening. Well, here's what I wonder. I wonder. In fact, I don't even wonder, I know. That if we could have a conversation with our Heavenly Father, and if we could sit down with Him and He could explain things to us, which, by the way, would probably be impossible, because He's God and we're not. But if we could see things from God's perspective, if we could have God's view on what's happening in our country or what's happening in the world, I wonder if we would leave that conversation and we would say, wow, that's not at all what I thought was going on. That's not at all what I was thinking. In fact, that's completely opposite of what I thought was happening. And here's what I believe with everything inside of me would happen to us regardless of which side of this thing we come out on. If we're devastated, we would come out of that conversation filled with hope and anticipation and eagerness of what God is doing. And realizing that in spite of my belief and what I think of what's happening, everything is going as God wants it to go. And if I'm excited, and I'm like, this is the best thing that has ever happened. I would come out of that conversation thinking, you know what? Really doesn't matter. It really isn't going to make that much difference. God is still up to what God is up to. If we could see from God's perspective, a God view... I wonder what it would make us feel like and how much differently we would feel. Listen, not that we're disengaged, not that we don't have beliefs, not that we don't go vote, not that we're not that we're not concerned at all. I can just tell you this that in four years, And what happened several days ago, God is not standing on the edge of heaven, looking down at earth, not just earth, but United States. God is not looking down, wringing his hands, saying, oh, I can't believe it. What am I going to do? 
And neither is he when things go the way we want them to go, looking down and saying, yes, I'm so excited. It's going to make my job easier. Now listen, I know some of you guys are going to fight back with all of that. I don't think God is nearly as concerned as we think he is. Listen, don't hear me wrong there. God is concerned about our country, but please give me some grace. You know what I'm saying. He's not losing sleep, I can promise you. I want to start out with a couple verses. In Isaiah. Let me just say this. God has a different way of seeing things. Not only does God have a different way of seeing things, God has a different way of thinking about things. And see, man, we push back. Oh, we push back because, you know, we, we, what we think and the way we believe is right. I want you to listen to these verses. I'll let Scripture lead us this direction. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. God says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I want to put this into perspective. For some of you, I'm going to throw a whole bunch of numbers at you, and you're going to be like, ah, there goes Eric again. It's so boring. And if you're bored with this stuff, you lay your head back and just sleep for the next five minutes. The rest of you that love stuff like this, you can pay attention. I want to give you the difference between thousands, millions, billions, and trillions. Okay? We'll do it in seconds. We'll do it in the the span of time. 1,000 seconds is 16.6 minutes. That's a thousand seconds. A million seconds is 11 and a half days. Okay? So in about 12 days, you will have lived another one million seconds. A billion seconds, one billion seconds is approximately 32 years. So if you're 32 years old, you've lived and breathed and sucked air for about one billion seconds. A trillion seconds, one trillion seconds is 32,000 years, okay? That just gives you, because we hear these numbers, millions, billions, and trillions, right? I just want you to see the difference between a billion, 32 years, and a trillion is 32,000 years. Now, with that kind of perspective, I want to read you something. This is in reference to the verse that I just read about God's ways are higher, different. They're not like ours. The distance between his wisdom and ours, his power and ours, is like the distance from one side of the universe to the other. That's what he says. says, I don't think like you. It's, It's as far as the heavens are apart. That's how much different I think. Now listen to this. If if his thoughts are as far apart. As the expanse of the heavens and the universe, listen to this. The universe is so large that it requires an awfully long tape measure. The basic unit of measurement is a light year. That's how you measure the universe. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second, which is so fast that in the time it takes to snap your fingers, light 
circumnavigates the globe half a dozen times. To put the speed of light and the size of the universe into perspective, the sun is 94 million miles away from the earth at its furthest distance from us. If you could drive to the sun, traveling 65 miles an hour, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, it would take you more than 163 years to drive to the sun. The light that warms your face on a sunny day on the other hand, left the surface of the sun eight minutes ago. So while 94.4 million miles may seem like a long distance by earthly standards, it is our next door neighbor by celestial measurements, by God's measurements. The sun is the nearest star to our tiny galaxy known as the Milky Way. They, there are more than 80 billion galaxies in the universe, which for the record equates to more than 10 galaxies per person. In one minute, light travels 11 million miles. In one day, light travels 160 billion miles. In one year, light year, in one light year, light travels an unfathomable 5 trillion blah, blah, blah miles. That's just one light year. The outer edge of our universe as we know it is 15.5 billion light years away. God says that that's the distance between his thoughts and our thoughts. On your best day, on your smartest day, your thoughts could possibly fall 15.5 billion light years short of your Heavenly Father's thoughts. We could probably just end right there, couldn't we? Isaiah 40, verse 28. Do you ever feel like God's asleep? Whether it's national things, whether it's personal things. Isaiah 40, 28 says, Do you not know, have you not heard? And I added a lot of these verses. They're not in your outline. They won't be on the screen. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. Here's what I want you to remember. Number one, I want you to remember this. It's a simple one. God is in control. Just remember, God's in control. You can put in parentheses beside that, God is sovereign. And that simply means this, is God is God. There is no competition. He is not resistible. He is irresistible. God is God. God is in Control, Psalms 115, verse 3. It says, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Can't argue with it. You can't fight it. It doesn't matter if you don't like it. God is God. Let me say this here before we get too far in this. 
All of what I'm going to say is built on this premise. It's built on the premise that we believe God is good. It's built on a premise that, that Romans talks about, that everything works out to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's, it's built on the premise that Jeremiah 29, verse 11, is true. That God has plans not to harm you, but to prosper you and to do you good. It's built on that reality. But God is God. He is in heaven, and he's going to do whatever pleases him. Daniel 4, verse 35. It says, all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Daniel 2, verse 21. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and disposes of them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. Listen to me. You're God. If you're here today and you're a Christian and you've stepped across the line of faith and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you've trusted this God with your eternity, with your soul. Don't you think you can trust him? with the next 50 years. He's in control. He's God. He's sovereign. No one can question him. And listen, I'm not going to get into all this theology, theological thing, well, if God is in control, then we might as well not do anything because it doesn't work like that. Don't ask me to explain it. It just doesn't. God has given us a free will. God has given us the ability and wants us to be involved, but God is still in control. You can ask him how that all works when you get to heaven. Number two, remember this. This is not your home. This is not home. This isn't where we belong. We're just passing through. We're foreigners. That's so hard for us to remember. We work, and we need to work. We have our stuff. We have our family. We have our friends. We have our things, and we forget that we don't belong here. We forget that this is just practice for eternity. That's all it is. And it's practice for eternity. Therefore, there's only a couple of things that really, really matter. And we're going to talk about that. But this isn't home. 1 Peter 2, Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. And then he goes on, don't sin and do all this stuff. Listen, you're a stranger here. You're an alien. You don't even belong here. You're just traveling through. You're just passing through. If you guys have ever traveled to another country, and have been gone for an extended period of time, or you've been way overseas, there is nothing like flying, just getting back into the airspace of the United States of America because it's home. You just, when you're there, it's just like, this is great. I care about these people. You know what, and I hate to say this, when I was in Africa a couple years ago, and I know some of you heard me say this, by the time I was done with about 16 days, and we were in the airport, and there were all these people that were foreigners and strangers to me, different, 
I loved him, but I was going to get on that plane. And if it took hurting somebody to get on that plane to come home, I would have hurt somebody to get on that plane. It's, it was chaotic getting on the plane over there. And the guy that was with us told us, when you get on the plane, you've got to get on the plane. It's not orderly. Nobody's going to give you your seat. If it's full, you're probably not going to get on the plane. Well, believe me, I was going to get on the plane. I didn't belong there. It wasn't home. I was just traveling through. Listen, this brings us into perspective. Revelation 21, I'm going to read you seven verses very quickly. Then I saw a new heaven. Here's what's going to happen, guys. Here's what we're living for. Then I saw a heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and was no longer, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. That's you and me. That's the church. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe, listen, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain or worry. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Everything's going to be new. Everything as we know it is gone. It's going to be new. It's going to be perfect. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit this. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. See, that's what we have to look forward to. That's our home. It's not here. This is just temporary. So you might ask the question, well, if that's all true, if God's in control and we're foreigners and we're aliens and we don't really belong here, then what really matters? And I'm going to give you three things that really matter. The first one I have labeled number three because it's not your first priority, but number three but the first one on the list, some of you that hate stuff like that are going to be going crazy, but that's how it is, right? Here's three things that really matter and three things that we ought to do that we should do while we wait for that day is we ought to work really hard. We ought to work really hard. I heard when someone say this one time, he said, you ought to work like Jesus is never coming back, but you ought to live like he's coming back anytime." And I agree with that. We ought to work hard. I'm not talking over balance. I'm not talking out of line with priorities. We ought to work hard. We ought to be some of the best. The Christians of this culture ought to be the best workers in the world. We ought to be hard workers. Listen to what this says. I love this verse. Colossians 3, verse 23, it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. That means when we go to work tomorrow morning, You're not working for your boss. You're not even working for yourself. Your work ought to be done as unto the Lord himself, and you ought to work at it with all your heart. You ought to do your best. 
got to work hard. 1 Timothy 5.8, it says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Here's what matters. we got to work hard. we got to provide for our families. We ought to make a good living. And I know we could go into all kinds of directions in this, and we're not going to. Here's number two. What really matters is family and relationships. And by the way, these are in order of priority, in my opinion. We ought to work hard, but family and relationships ought to come first, or before that. And I'm talking, this is such a wide thing, I'm going to narrow it down. We'll just go into a couple of things real quickly. I wrote down three things. I just, I just wrote down underneath, and I said marriage, kids, and others. Marriage, kids, and others. And if you're not married, it's kids and then others. And if you're not married and you don't have kids, then it's others. But if you are married, your number one priority when it comes to relationships is your wife or your husband. It is. Look at this verse. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Listen, guys. If we as men would love our wives the way Christ loved the church, 99.9% of the time we would have amazing marriages and homes. Not always. But if we would just, just that verse, just that verse when it comes to marriage, love your wife the way Christ loved the church. And think about what he's saying. Jesus gave up everything, served the church, died for the church, believed in the church, built up the church. And just so you ladies know you're not off the hook, you need to read the end of this passage. It talks about the role of the wife. And at the end of talking about being submissive and all this stuff, and we're not going to get into that, the last verse says, and the wife should respect your husband. doesn't say if he's respectable. doesn't tell us to love you if you're lovable, because sometimes you're not. But at the end of the passage, it says the wife ought to respect her husband. I know this sermon is not on marriage, but I just want to tell you guys something. Guys, if you love your wife the way Jesus loved the church, she will flourish, and she will bloom, and she will be content, and she will be happy, and she will be confident. And ladies, if you respect your husband, that means you build him up. That means you stroke his ego. That means you find good things about him. There is nothing as powerful, there is nothing as powerful for a man as a wife that believes in him. Nothing. I promise you. They need your respect way more than they need your love. And it's a choice. And then we talk about our family. We talk about our children. Our kids are, are important. And I'll just say this here. Again, I don't want to spend a lot of time here. But this is, so, this is what matters. See, this is what we ought to be losing sleep over. Not the election. We ought to be losing sleep over our homes. We ought to be losing sleep over our children. 
Dads, I would just say this. You spend time with your kids. And when your kids are young, you spend time with them. Because before you know it, before you can blink, or what doesn't seem like a blink, they're grown up. And things change. It's good. It's good. It's not bad. But things change. Dads, if you have daughters, you love on them. You hug them. You touch them. You take them on dates. You make sure when they're 13, 14, 15, 16, that they're full of attention from a man. Because if they're not, they'll find it somewhere. And I'm telling you, dads, that's your job. It's nobody else's job. It's your job. I told the church a long time ago when I first got asked to be pastor of the church, I made this statement. And this is still the truth. Another man, lots of other men, can be pastor of this church. There is not another man alive that can be the husband to my wife and the father to my children. Therefore, that is my first priority. No one can take that place, dads. And then, ladies, you have a huge role to play there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going because I'll spend all day here. But listen, see, this is what matters. I will say this, ladies, you have far more to do with how your son turns out than you could ever imagine. Have any of you read the book that um, James Dobson just came out, or no, Kevin Lehman just came out with, and it talks about mothers and their sons? If you, if you need a good book and you have a son and you're a mom, read it. Your impact, listen, whether you're a husband or whether you're a, 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 a father or a mother, your impact on your children is ultimate. It's not the school, it's not the church, it's not the youth group, it's you. That's what's important. And then the, the third thing that I have on here is just others. See, there's very few things that we're going to take with us into eternity. Very few things. In fact, maybe this one is the only thing. We're going to take family, and we're going to take other people. We're going to take family, and we're going to take other people. That's what matters. It's relationships. I was talking to some earlier this, someone earlier this week, and, and we've ta- I've talked about this, and we've talked about this with some of the, us that have been friends for 20 years and, you know, helped start the church and all the things that happen all through life and and uh, here's what I'm determined when it comes to my relationship with other people. Do you guys know that we're all just weird? I mean, there's, there's, there's things about ourselves and about each other that drive each other crazy, right? And if we're not careful, those little things that drive each other crazy or just our imperfections, or we could even go so far as to say our sinfulness, because anytime you live in a relationship, anytime you live in the context of community, anytime you live in any context of relationship, we hurt each other. And we drive each other crazy. And we're like, they're so stupid. Why are they doing that? And man, I would never do it that way. And then we have children and we do and we raise our kids differently. And they watch those movies, and I would never let my kids watch those movies. And all of a sudden, these things that, we are, that make us different and make us unique and sometimes can actually draw us together begin to divide us. 
And we forget that those very people that used to be our best friends are the only things we're going to take to heaven with. And all, all I'm saying is this, is don't let stupid little things divide you and ruin relationships. They matter. It's what matters. It's what matters. It's okay if we raise our kids a little bit differently. We should. It's okay if we have a little bit different beliefs. We should. It's okay if some of us love to run early and some of us love to run late. It's okay. We're not going to go to hell because we're early or late. You might if you're late. I'm not sure. But you know what I'm saying? We're different. And let's just love it. Let's just be okay with it. Let's just overlook it. Let's understand this is what matters. It's what matters. In fact, it's all that matters in a lot of ways. Number one, I shouldn't say it's all that matters. Here's the the main thing. This stuff all ties together. Number one, what really matters, number one is this, is be a great ambassador. Be a great ambassador. This goes back to this idea that this is not our home. And the Bible speaks to this. This is not your home. You're sent here. Listen, you're not here by accident, right? You're not just here by, because it just happened. You were sent here as an ambassador representing another kingdom. Do you know that? You didn't just happen to end up in the United States. You didn't just happen to be here in the year 2012. You were sent here. You were commissioned to be here. You were sent here as, a, as an ambassador and a representative of heaven itself and of God himself. So therefore, if that's why we're here, be a good ambassador. Be a really good ambassador. Listen to what this says. Where did my notes go? Oh, there I am. 2 Corinthians 5, three verses. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 20. I think in your outline I might just have part of this passage. I'm not sure. But here's, I want to read you all these verses. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, listen, this is such an awesome passage. Listen, if you are in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. We're different. We're new. We've been changed. We're set apart. All this is from God. He changed us. He made us a new creation who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against him. And he has committed us to the message, again, committed us to the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. See, here's what we forget. You know what, bottom line, here's what I'm saying with this last one. The number one, you know, here's what really matters. It's family, it's that we work hard, it's family, but ultimately what matters is my relationship with Jesus Christ. That's ultimately what matters. And out of that relationship with Jesus Christ, out of the fact that he has reconciled me, 
that he has now called me to the ministry of reconciliation. And by the way, the ministry of reconciliation has to do with what? Relationships. It has to do with relationships. It has to do with other people. And he says, you are now an ambassador of Jesus Christ as if God was making his appeal through you. That's ultimately what it's about. Here's what I just want you to know. I don't know if any of this helps you or not. But here's what I want you to know as your pastor. I am not worried about the next four years. I'm not worried about the next 10 years. I'm not worried about the next 20 years. Because if our country does good, awesome. If our country does really good and economy comes back, you know what's great for us? And listen, you can, you can all day say this. You can all day say, well, it's not the economy. It's the moral issues. And it is the moral issues. But if you drill down deep, what's actually driving you? What's actually driving you has a lot to do with our pocketbooks. And I mean, I say that carefully. But listen to me. If our economy comes back and things are good and jobs are crazy and everybody starts making more money and what Romney was going to do actually happens even though he's not president and we're going to be like, yes, things are so much better. Great. I'll enjoy it. We'll enjoy it. We'll be thankful. But listen, if it gets bad, if it gets really bad, I want to just take you down a, on, a, on a trail. This is what they teach you, when you if they tell you to become a counselor. And I'm not a good counselor, right? But here's what they teach you. If somebody says, I'm afraid that my marriage is going to fall apart and my kid's going to die or something, you just say, and then what? And then what? So if the economy gets really bad and we lose our jobs, then what? Oh, I might lose my house. Yeah, you might. Then what? Oh, I'll probably find something to rent cheap. And actually be okay. Yeah. And then what? Uh, might have to end up moving into your basement. Yeah. But you understand what I'm saying? Follow the tr- Follow it. And then what? And then what? And every time it's kind of like, yeah, that's true. You know, what if my husband dies? This is a worst case scenario. What if my husband dies? What, what is going to happen? Well, I'm going to be really depressed, and it's going to be really hard, and I'll probably pray, and I'll probably get closer to God, and God's going to be faithful like he's always been. And then what? I'll probably get over it, and life will go on. Exactly. What happens if our country falls apart, and then what? Is it really that bad? Ultimately, ultimately, Jesus is going to come back one day. And then what we're supposed to be excited about anyway. What if the world ends? Then what? Oh, I might spend eternity with Jesus. See, you follow the, just follow it down through it. It's like, well, it's not that bad. You know, if, if we, see, this is, this is craziness. I know it is, but here's where our minds go. If we end up having to move in with each other and actually have to help each other on a daily basis. It might not be so bad. We might actually need each other every day. It might be, hey, pray for me. It might be, hey, come over. 
I need help. I'm hungry. See, now I know I'm going way off the deep end. And you're like, oh, that's what I'm freaked out about. Listen, I don't, that's, I don't think that's what's going to happen. I'm just saying. Listen, everything's good. God's good. God's in control. God says everything, everything works out to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And I'm telling you, Obama's not the answer. Romney wasn't the answer. And in four years, they're not the answer. It may do us, it may, look, it may help us. Just remember God's view is 15.5 billion light years different than yours. He has a different view. And he's in control. Let's pray.